Hi, this is Bill Arnold. Missed a show or need me talking to help you sleep tonight? I have several solutions to that situation. Here are the podcasts from the show. You are the best for listening and supporting Faith Radio. And a warm welcome to Afternoons with me. I'm Bill Arnold. Thank you for joining me today. I hope your Monday's been going well. I've been having a lot of fun. Uh, last hour, Patrick was in and David Miles was here. So there's uh, we're off to a good start. This hour is going to be great. Dr. Andy Scudinga is going to join me for the full hour. He's uh, been an adjunct professor at uh, Bethel at Century and Crown College. And at one point, he was an associate dean of psychology in Jakarta, Indonesia, and then also uh, he is now the uh, professor of psychology at North Central University in downtown Minneapolis. And um, I'm always uh, delighted to have uh, Andy on board because he's got such an interesting perspective. He teaches uh, psychology from a faith-based perspective, which uh, is very important for students to understand uh, how creation unfolds through the study of the mind, behaviors, thoughts, and feelings. And he's my guest for the full hour. And I'm already going to let you know, as a listener, you can uh, send us questions, or send Andy questions, not me. I won't do you much good, but send Andy the questions. You can text them to 877-933-2484. So we have uh, full access to a doctor of psychology. So any question you want solved, let us know. We'll do it. Uh, Andy, welcome to the show. Thanks, Bill. That might have been the best introduction I've ever had in my life. Nice. I think it was better than my wedding introduction. <laughs> All right, let's close in prayer. Let's just call it an hour. <laughs> I think my wedding, somebody said, here's this kid from Washington State. Good luck, <laughs> Bethany. That's kind of how that went. Uh, you make me laugh. All right, uh, so, you know, when we think about our sense, our strong sense of the uneasiness that we have about ourselves from time to time, you know, for a lot of people, it, it, it comes and goes, it ebbs and flows, but in the middle yeah. of all this uneasiness that we have from time to time about ourselves, it can often lead to the kinds of questions like this. Why isn't life better? Why don't I fit in? Those are, those are tough questions that I think you're right. I think a lot of people have, especially the second piece. Why, why don't I fit in? Yeah, it's a big uh, one, isn't it? It is. It's a huge question. And it's one that people have struggled with probably since Adam and Eve sinned. You know, why, why don't I fit in? Why don't I fit in with my tribe, with my people, with my church, with my class, with my neighbors? Right. Um, and I've often wondered if, if the problem isn't necessarily the, the person um, or not, sorry. I often wonder if, if the problem isn't the person themselves. If we aren't thinking about how we fit in in the right way. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Like, it's almost like we're looking at it from the backwards angle. How, how do we, what, what can we do to get to know the people that we feel like we don't fit in with? And then the second question is, are these people that you want to fit in with in the first place? You know, how many teenagers have looked at their friends and said, why don't I fit with anybody? But they're really, what they're really looking at is groups that they wish they could fit in or they want to fit in with right. that they maybe don't really belong in, and they, they shouldn't because they're, they're different kinds of people or they have different interests. I don't know. It's a, it's a fascinating question. 
Well, and then it, it goes into adulthood where, you know, why don't the guys at the golf course, you know, include me into the cool groups? And it, it goes on and on, doesn't it? Oh, absolutely does. We are always striving as people to belong. I mean, that's that's part of how God made us. We We want to be in community with others. We want to be recognized for who we are. Um, unfortunately, I think a lot of people simply make the mistake of, like I was alluding to before, they want to be recognized and part of the wrong groups of people. Um, you know, I've, I've spoken with college students many times about this. They, they come and they say, I just don't, I don't feel like I'm fitting in with my friends. And I always ask them, well, what are your friends like that you want to fit in with? And then they <laughs> describe them. And I usually say, well, that's not you. Why, why do you want to hang out with these people? You know, that there's, there's different people out there who you might be a better fit with. You know, if you're, if you're into theater and music and all your friends are sports nuts, I, you know, that's find some theater and music friends and get rid of your sports friends or not get rid of them, but maybe reduce the amount of contact that you have with them and branch out into areas of people that you do find common ground with. And then Andy, do you think that people spend a lot of energy trying to work really hard to prove themselves? And is that a bad thing? Oh, absolutely. Is that a bad thing? I I think sometimes it is. Mm -hmm. I think when it becomes almost like an idol for you, right? then it's a bad thing. Mm -hmm. when, when you're proving yourself takes greater precedence than, you know, your relationship with God, with your spiritual development, right? When your desire to prove yourself and to show everyone I've made it, or I'm here, or I'm successful, then that, that becomes, I, I think that's kind of an idol in our lives. And it's really easy to do that. You know, you get slighted by your family member who says, Ah, well, you're, you know, teaching doesn't make very much money or only weirdos go to psychologists or, <laughs> you know, yeah. engineers are, are a bunch of nerds in a closet who right. solve problems with math. You know, you know, people make a stereotype about the sort of thing that you do and you feel like, wait a minute, you don't get to say that about what I'm going to do. I will prove to you that I can be successful. I can make money. I can be good at what I do. And yeah, we, we find ourselves burning up energy to show people instead of just doing what God calls us to do and being satisfied with that. Yeah. So I'm just trying to get to a point here, and whether or not I'll get there is still yet unknown. But if you, <laughs> you know, you, you want to belong, you want to feel like you fit in somewhere, you want to be a part of something, you want to go, this is my group, these are my people that I do life with. And when you are um, trying to find that group, if you're not being... Uh, like through teenage years, being shepherded by a mom and a dad, and they're not present all the time, you're going to start to look for other shepherds. And that other shepherd might be uh, someone who lives in a different neighborhood that's three years older who might not be the good influence. Yeah, you're but you're, absolutely you're, but right. But your desire to belong is so powerful that if, if you don't do the shepherding, someone else will. Yeah, that's exactly right. And it goes back to the idea that people, again, people want to connect. And they also, we all want to feel valued by somebody. And if we feel valued by the wrong types of people, that's where we're going to be attracted to go. Um, that's why sometimes groups of teenagers are, they find community with other, you know, quote unquote, misfits, kids who don't fit in with the rest of the traditional 
click type of groups, right? You're not an athlete. You're not a, you're not a nerd. You're not in this group or that group. You're not in band. You're not in whatever. And so we find community and yeah, you, you look for mentors. You look for people who can, like you said, shepherd you along who may not be a great influence on you, but at least they're giving you some positive attention and at least they're treating you like you have value. And I think it's so important that when we see this in kids who are becoming sort of disenfranchised with their church or with their church youth group or with their families, you know, as fellow believers, if we see that and we don't have a relationship with the parents or the kid or, or we do with the kid, it's or the youth, it's time to reach out and say, hey, you know, how are you doing? Um, get to know them a little bit, maybe get to know their family, get to know their parents. When it comes to adults, you obviously you can approach them directly and, and handle that in a little bit different way. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, there are these feelings that would say, will anybody really love me? Will anyone really ever know me? And when you start to feel that those desires might not be met, um, that can start into a bad spiral of uh, of stepping away from and isolating. Like, well, I guess yeah. it doesn't matter. Right. Or you start getting desperate for relationships and you choose bad people to have those relationships with, you know, starting to date someone who's not a great fit, who is not equally yoked. You know, this, this, this woman loves me, but you know, she's not a Christian. Um, and that's okay because, you know, she loves me and she knows me. Well, that that's not okay. And I mean, even it's not just biblical, but science proves it too, that those types of relationships rarely work out well when you don't share the same types of values and concerns and, and kind of end of life goals those relationships struggle. And I think lonely people are definitely at risk for pursuing those types of relationships when the ones that they want aren't happening. And the, the best thing for individuals like that to do is to try to, you know, focus their primary relationship on Christ. And I believe that when you do that, God brings you to places where you might meet some different people. Um, you know, pursuing a relationship with Jesus might help you pursue a relationship with a church that fits with the kind of growth that you're seeking. You know, you might start looking for churches with, you know, singles groups or, um, you know, divorce care if you're, if you're, um, if you've been divorced, you know, there's lots of options like that out there. But I think sometimes people in their loneliness and in their, their great desire to connect, like you said, they either isolate or they seek out the the, the wrong kind of relationships. And those are you know, churches are a great way to start looking for that. Unfortunately, I've, we've talked to single people in our past who say, I can't find a church where there's other single people. You know, mm-hmm. like I'm, I really love going to my church, but it's almost all married couples. And if they're young couples, they have kids. If they're older couples, you know, they're older, you know, I'm 30, whatever, and I'm single. And the only under, the only other single 30 something is someone I'm not attracted to for marriage. And everybody thinks that we should get married. You know, I've heard that story a number of times. My sister got married close to 30. And for years, people at churches were trying to set her up with the only single guy in church. <laughs> and yeah. she she got so tired of that. She was starting to look for other churches. Um, thankfully, she wasn't looking for relationships in bad places. But um, that, was, that was a struggle for her. And sometimes Christians don't do a great job of 
of helping single people because they want to find them a nice person to get married to before they even get to know the person themselves. Mm-hmm. Take a little break. Dr. Annie Scudding is my guest. If you have a question, uh, let us know what it is. You can text 877-933-2484. We'll be right back. Dr. Andy Scuttinga is my guest. He's a professor of psychology at North Central University in downtown Minneapolis. A couple questions coming in here, Andy. First one is, is there anything biblical about the idiom, fake it until you make it? <laughs> that's, a, that's a great question. I agree. Um, I, I'm not going to lie. I don't have the answer to that off <laughs> the top of my head. Yeah. Um, but I think there... I will say this. Biblically, I, I'm not totally sure. Um, Research-wise, yes, there's a, lot of, there's a lot of truth to that idiom, um, especially when you consider um, kind of your biases, the things that you're biased against. Mm-hmm. When, you, when you start to pretend that you, that you don't have a bias against you know, whatever group, and, and this is obviously very important to, to what's going on right now in our country and around the world. Um, research also shows that when you pretend to like someone that you don't particularly care that much for, mm-hmm. when you treat them like you do like them, you begin to start liking them. <laughs> I mean, that, that is, mm-hmm. there is tons of research that backs that up, that when you start treating people as if they are a good friend, you know, not an intimately good friend, but, right. a, but a friend, you you will soon become friends with them or you'll at least like them more. You know, just doing something nice for somebody else makes you like them more. Mm. So if you've got somebody in your community, your work, your church, your neighborhood that you don't really care that much for, do something nice for them. You know, it doesn't have to be, you know, don't buy them a car or something ridiculous like that, but unless they need it. You know, then yeah, buy them. Uh, right, unless they need it, you know, shake their hand, go talk to them. Well, maybe not shake their hand right now, but you get the point. Yeah, wave at them from a distance. But do it so sincerely. Yeah, right, right. We have really, really nicely. I don't even know how to do that. Yeah, I'm not a great either. waver. It's yeah, kind of like a one hand, you know, swish wave. But, yeah, we were talking about this in the first hour. Did you complete your thought, or did I cut you off? No, no. I, I was. It's probably good that you did. Okay, good. I don't want to be a rambling radio guy. Yeah. Um. So we were talking about forgiveness in the first hour or last hour, and we were saying, I was saying, I think I was saying, that. If you sit around and wait until you feel like forgiving someone, you're never going to do it. If you take right. action, then you you have these feelings about forgiveness that weren't there until you took action. Yep. Yeah, we. I think we talked about this about about uh, maybe the last time that I was on about how forgiveness requires you to you have to do something. Um, you have to accept forgiveness, but you also have to offer it. And offering, you know, offering something is an action. You have to, you have to do something about it. Um, and you know, going back to the question, can you, you know, fake it till you make it? You can't, you can't fake forgiving somebody. You know, there's, there's some, there's some differences there in what we're talking about. You can't just pretend in your mind you've forgiven somebody. That I, I don't think that works. I, you really have to literally go do it. Um, and the, the more. The, the more quickly you can let the person know that you have forgiven them, 
the better. You know, it's one thing to say, I forgive you, but you're a thousand miles away and eventually I'll tell you, you know, they're never going to know that. That's, that's not particularly helpful, but Mm -hmm. you're right. You have to put some, some action behind your words. Yeah. All right. Here's another question. What do we do as Christians when we want to be who Christ wants us to be, but it seems impossible to get there? Well, unfortunately it is impossible (laughs) to get there. That's, that's the rub, right? Um, you know, it's, it, it's a lot like telling a kid who wants to be a great basketball player, you have to practice it. You know, you can't just say, I want to be, you know, I want to be a varsity starter for basketball. I want to play college basketball. I want to play professional basketball. Those are, those are great dreams to have. You know, I, w- I want to be an engineer. Well, if you don't practice your math, if you don't practice your jump shot, if you don't practice whatever it is you want to master, you're not going to do it. And it's, it's the exact same thing with, you know, being as Christ-like as we can, you know, we can pray about it and say, God, help me to be more Christ-like. We can talk about it to our friends and family. I'm going to try to be more Christ-like, but until we start spending more time in the word, until we start literally physically, mentally practicing things that help us to become more Christ-like, it's, it's not going to happen. And so we have to develop a mindset, I think, of constant trying and effort and resilience around something that we know that we're never going to get. Nobody's ever going to be perfect. No one's ever going to be completely like Jesus, but we can be the hands and feet of Christ by practicing the things that he did himself in the life that he modeled for us. So is it possible? Uh, No, I, I, that's not my theology. There's nothing that we can do to be just like Jesus, but we can try to mirror him as much as we possibly can. Mm -hmm. All right. Here's another question. I always have felt that God is mad at me. Where does that come from? Well, it probably comes from a lot of different things. Um, probably messages from, you know, external messages might be things that your parents said to you, um, lessons that you learned from Sunday school or from school growing up. Um, just the way that people sometimes talk about sin can be really damaging, especially to young people. And as they grow up, they keep having these thoughts of, man, God is always mad at me. I'm such a, I'm a no good sinner. Um, I have, I, I don't deserve the salvation that I've been given, you know, and, and that can become a mindset that we hang on to. Um, God is not mad at us all the time. I don't, I don't believe that. I believe God loves us so much. I mean, so much that he gave his only son to die on the cross for us. A God who does that in my mind can't, well, he can, but would choose not to be mad at us all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that's. I think that's something that many people struggle with as they grow up. Um, is that feeling of I don't deserve this because I'm so bad. My my grandma was part of a church of a denomination that I won't mention on the radio, um, but I hated going to visit her church because it was such a doom and gloom service every time. Mm-hmm. All they talked about was how reprobate we were and degenerate we were and evil and horrible. And I thought, I don't ever want to be part of a church denomination that talks so poorly about us all the time. I mean, I understand it's, it's not incorrect, but there was no joy of the Lord present there. It was just, man, you people are so lucky to be saved. You, you know, you should be kissing the ground, yeah. groveling before the Lord. And I think 
that's that's not necessarily the most positive way to view our relationship with Jesus. Because he died on the cross, we have the opportunity to have that relationship, a personal relationship, uh, one of joy and happiness and, and friendship and, you know, deep longing to be more Christ-like. And then when you, but when you turn that into a message of, hey, but yeah, that's great, but you don't deserve it because you're a really bad person. Uh, it's very easy to take that to heart. And if you don't have people surrounding you who are telling you, hey, no, you know what? You have value in God's eyes, no matter your skin color, you know, no matter your, you know, whatever, whoever you are, when, when God loves you, right? And so, you know, to the listener, ask the question, God is, I do not believe God is mad at you all the time. And when you start changing your thought, when you have those thoughts of, is God mad at me all the time? You just tell yourself, no, he's not. And, and you can look at all the biblical reasons why, number one, is, is Christ's death on the cross and resurrection for mm-hmm. you. Another listener, uh, Andy, jumped in with this comment. It's not a question, but it's a very good comment. Um, I totally agree. I've been praying to love people. So every time I look at someone, I say in my heart and mind, I love you. Then suddenly, I love them. That's pretty powerful stuff. It really is. I, I, don't, I don't do that, and maybe I should. <laughs> and to think I could have had this person on as a guest instead of you. <laughs> That, yeah, I you got me, Bill. I don't know what I don't know what to do with that one. No, I just are there. Uh, are I there love, more questions, Bill? I I got some more. Yeah. Um. No, I just love the I love I love I love the I love the wisdom from listeners. Um, and I love the way they think. I I grow Absolutely. I grow from that. It's like I'll I'll remember that now for a long time. Look at them, especially a person that you might have a difficulty with, and say I. Say in my mind, I, I love you, and then, boy, I wonder if it'll change how I approach that person or interact with that person. It, it will have a huge impact, I think. And if, you, if we go back to the question that another listener asked about how do, we come more, how do we become more Christ-like, that's a great start. I mean, Jesus looked at everybody with love. I mean, that, that was the whole story of the gospel, right? Mm-hmm. He, he would minister to the poor, to the, to the needy, to the invalid, to the blind, to the widows. Those are the people he sought out first. And through his act, if he didn't say it directly, his action said, I love you. And, you know, when we're looking at what's going on around us in society today, there's a tremendous amount of upheaval. And we have our, our poor history of race relations is, is bubbling to the surface um, in very strong ways. This is a great time for us as Christians to look at our neighbors with open eyes mm-hmm. and instead of saying trite things, we need to say, I love you. And, you know, we, we have to be careful doing that. You can't just walk around and tell everybody in your neighborhood, I love you. You know, that, that can <laughs> yeah. cause consternation for yeah. people. Right. But yeah. saying in our heads and then demonstrating it through our actions, uh, it, that's a, that's a really valuable way to move some things forward that we're yeah. dealing with today. Andy, let me take a little short break. I want to invite listeners with questions or comments to send them over via text to 877-933-2484, 877-933-2484. Dr. Andy Scudinga is my guest. He's a professor of psychology at North Central University here in Minneapolis. We'll be back in 90 seconds.
Welcome back to the show. Dr. Andy Scudding is my guest, professor of psychology. If you have a question for a psychologist, let me know what it is. Uh, 877-933-2484. Andy, I didn't really pay attention too much. I, I do know of Sigmund Freud, which I think is kind of a weirdo, but he said something to this effect, I'll paraphrase, um, that in order to for people to feel liberated and all that, they need to indulge in like f- complete freedom of self-expression, which I think sounds pretty nuts. Your thoughts? Yeah, yeah. I, I most most psychologists would agree that that part of of Freud's um, theories and, and ideology is 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 not a great idea, um, because his his basic idea was the id is where all of our you know, most basic needs and desires come from. So sex, food, um, survival, dominance, those are all part of the id. And so the id basically says whatever it wants mm-hmm. is what we should, what I should get, right? So if the id says, I'm hungry, I need to eat. And, you know, you are in a restaurant, you see food on somebody else's table, you go over and you take and you eat it because you're hungry. Well, obviously, that's a stupid thing to do and would probably get you in a fight, maybe arrested. <laughs> mm-hmm. So, the, you know, the, the ego and the super ego are there to balance that out and, and make sure you don't act out. But, but Freud was, his point was, sometimes you just need to let it all out in, in a healthy, constructive way. Well, it's been proven over and over that doing that is a is a pretty terrible idea. Right. right. All right, here's another question that came in from a listener. I don't have confidence in myself, and I'm sure it shows at times. I get along with people I meet, but it seems I overstep my welcome and talk too much. So I tend not to like me. Oh, yeah. Well, there's here. here's the beautiful thing, uh, questioner or, or listener, I guess. You're already aware of that, and that's a huge first step. So, so many answers to so many people's individual problems begin with just being self-aware and being able to say, okay, I don't like this part about myself. I don't – I realize that, I, that in this case I'm, I'm talking too much and I, and I bother people and I don't like that about myself. That's great. I mean, the one thing you don't want to have happen is your whole family sitting you down in the living room and saying, you have a problem. You talk too much. Nobody wants to have that. We don't want interventions thrown for us or, or put in our way. But then the next step for you is, all right, you know this about yourself. What are you going to do about it? Do you have friends you trust who could gently remind you, hey, you're, you're, remember that thing we talked about? You're doing it. Um, or, you know, maybe a family member who give you a code word, <laughs> you know, like be quiet. Um, I mean, that's not a very succinct code. Yeah. yeah you got to come up with a better code word. Right. You, but there's, there's things you could do. I mean, my wife and I did this stuff. I mean, I, I, listener, I resonate with you completely. I, as you might guess, having volunteered to come on a radio show and talk, I'm comfortable talking. And I, and I actually like talking. That's what I love most about my job as a professor. I get to talk about psychology all day. So I've learned over the years, there are times when I, I need to, to back off, or I learned some hard lessons as a kid, as an adolescent, and even as a younger adult, when being funny is not a good idea. <laughs> you know, sometimes there's bad times to be humorous. Mm-hmm. Um, Thankfully, I had people who were willing to work with me. You know, I have a, a spouse who's very wise and 
uh, is pretty nice. And she would sometimes touch me on the arm or give me a look, or sometimes it had to be something more obvious when we were with other people for me to understand, okay, yeah, I, I guess I'm doing that. But you need people that you trust with that sort of a job and you need to trust them to do it right. And you need to let them do it for you too. So that's, that's one thing to do. Um, and as far as confidence, when you, when you start to take action about things that bother you and you begin to see results, the confidence that you want to have comes in line with that. And when you start seeing results for the actions that you've taken, you'll, you will feel better about yourself. And sometimes it sounds trite for Christians to say things like this and, and almost dismissive, but, but I mean it sincerely. You know, pray about these things and put it before God and allow your confidence to come through, through Jesus. I mean, they're, they're, that's the greatest source of confidence that we can have. And it's so easy to say that. I, 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 I do understand that. But it, but it is true. And, you know, ask God to help you with this and it, it will come. Good answer. I like that. So here's another uh, question that came in, and I'm going to try to see if I can't get more information from the person who asked, because it's an interesting question, uh, and it's maybe a comment. The person's being anonymous, saying, I attend a predominantly Caucasian church. I've tried to seek out relationship, but there is silence and isolation. Um, and I don't know. I'm trying to find out if this person is Caucasian as well. Yeah, I, that would be my assumption based on the on the way the question or the or the comment was made. That's hard. It's a really difficult situation, and honestly, there's. I, I see a couple things that you can do. One is the obvious, is maybe look for a new church that has a demographic that's a little friendlier. Um, sometimes. We we've had this in our in our lives. My you know in my, my family we've we've had to leave churches because they were not a good fit for us as a family. Mm-hmm. They just, they just simply weren't. And we once had a, I once had a conversation with a pastor who said, it's, I completely understand why you're leaving. And I think it's fine. And I think it's a very good reason. Just be careful that you don't make a habit out of this. And I said, well, why would I make a habit out of this? He said, because sometimes when you leave a church, it becomes a lot easier to leave the next one and the next one. and I account him to be one of the wiser people that I've ever known. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm, I'm always very hesitant to tell people just simply, well, find a new church. You know, I, I don't think that's great advice in a lot of cases, but in a situation like this where you can't control the inner workings of other people's minds and hearts over something like this, that, that's very challenging. Mm-hmm. Another option is to target people that you would like to know that you feel are kind of socially responsible, respectable people who might be interested in getting to know you and getting to know your story and who you are and making it a point to get to know them by, you know, approaching them or, you know, I, I can't think of the right word for it, but, you know, making an effort to, to deliberately get to know these people and, and open yourself up to them a little bit. And if you find that they're not interested, then they're not interested. And, and maybe it is time to look for different relationships in different places. Mm-hmm. That, that's, a, that's a hard situation. Yeah. The listener did reply and said uh, he or she is Asian. Okay. So they, pretend to, they attend, a, pretend, attend a predominantly Caucasian church, trying to seek out yeah. 
relationship, but there's silence and isolation. And I, I tell you, my heart breaks for that situation. That yeah. makes me very sad to think that you're in a church environment, a church family, and you're feeling a complete loss of connection inside those walls. I hate hearing that. I do too. I hate, I, I, I do. I hate it. Um, and listener, I, I really, I feel for you. Um, there's, because there's a sense of rejection that comes with that. And whatever church you're attending, it's, that's terrible. And I would guess, I, in fact, I would, I would strongly guess that 90% of the people in that congregation have no idea what they're doing and have no concept of the fact that you feel lonely there and, and disconnected. And um, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but it sounds like you feel kind of like you feel those things, uh, maybe disconnected, kind of lonely, ignored. And, and I would guess a lot of people there don't even realize it. And that, and that's the sad part. And I don't know if you approach the pastor of the church and just say, Hey, is what's the body of this church? Like, am I missing something? Um, is there something that I can do differently? and get a gauge on, you know, the pastor's response is going to tell you a lot about what the congregation would respond to, I think. Mm-hmm. It's um, probably more prevalent than we would even imagine. I would I would guess that there are stories coming out of every church where there are people feeling isolated and lonely inside the church walls. And I know that old saying, in order to to get a friend, you need to be a friend. I know it works both ways. And it's I'm always encouraging people to you know, reach out and introduce yourself to somebody. Don't just sit there and wait for someone to come to you. That to me seems exactly. to make the most, most amount of sense. Yeah, I would agree with that, Bill, until you are rebuffed five sure. or six times by people who are like, well, yeah, I was, well, nice to meet you. You know, that's true. It, it was very interesting. We, we visited a place yesterday and the language of churches when they welcome visitors is very interesting because some churches say, Thank you for joining us, which means we're us, right? We are, we are a group of people here. And when you say you are joining us, you're saying you're implicitly or you're implying that there's a, there's a group here. We are a group, right? Is that a good thing? When you say, I don't think so, because I would feel language. The church didn't necessarily say that, but we, we were just talking about how churches greet visitors, right? Because we went to a place that we normally don't go. We were paying attention to that sort of thing. Some churches say, hey, welcome. We're just glad to have you here. And other churches say, thank you for joining us or being part of us today. As in, you may not come back, and that's fine. Um, but even, even the language that we use in, in those types of greetings can send people a message. Even if we don't mean to or not, those messages come through. We have to be very careful how we welcome people to any situation to make sure that they know you are truly welcome here. It doesn't matter what you look like or what you talk like or where you came from. We're just so glad that you came to this church today. Hmm. That's so interesting, Andy. I think you did a nice job of laying that out. There's just simple greetings can mean a whole lot right away and leave a very strong first impression. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And first impressions... What was that old adage? Um, uh, oh, there was, help me out. You don't get a second some, chance to make a good first impression? Yeah, exactly. And it's totally true. You, you don't. Mm-hmm. You have one chance. You know, if you meet someone and you say something offensive to them, 
regardless of who they are. I mean, <laughs> I mean, you could you could talk about their sports team negatively. Mm-hmm. Oh, I know. You're and, done. You know, something as unimportant as that, and they're you're dead to them. They're that you mean nothing to them now because you've stepped on their foot so forcefully that they you know they don't have time for you anymore. We we do this all the time, and we don't probably think hard enough. And I'm guilty of this as anyone. We don't often think hard enough about what our first impression should actually look like with somebody we're meeting for the first time, mm-hmm. whether it's at church or in your neighborhood. Yeah. Andy, what, uh, how should a Christian view self-esteem? Yeah, that's, a, that's another really, these are all good questions. I should quit saying that. Everyone, right. all your questions are really, really good. Yeah. I, I think there are some Christians who would say we should not help anyone have self-esteem because self-esteem leads to arrogance and other negative things that we have. And then there are other Christians who say Christians should have the greatest self-esteem in the world because we're saved. We have something that no one else in the universe has or can have without a relationship with, with Jesus. And there's, there was probably, you know, pendulums swing with things like this. And for a long time, the pendulum was swinging in, in favor of everyone must have high self-esteem to be happy. And then, you know, it swings the other way to say self-esteem is a terrible idea. We shouldn't give any credence to anything about self-esteem. And I think the truth is in the middle somewhere, Bill, where I don't think God calls us to have these incredibly negative feelings about ourselves where we walk around like vermin on the earth because we're sinful creatures. That's a terrible idea. That's a terrible way to live. Mm -hmm. I don't think God wants that from us. On the other hand, God doesn't want us walking around like we are God's gift to creation because we're here. You know, we, we all know people on both ends of the spectrum and I don't think either one is healthy. I think having a healthy self-esteem is knowing your strengths, knowing your weaknesses, knowing who you are and being content with that, with the idea, like the earlier listener talked about or asked about, with the idea that we are always striving to be as Christ-like as we can. Mm -hmm. And if we're working towards that with the right goal in mind, uh, I believe that most people will be able to have some sense of a healthy self-esteem so yeah, should Christians pay attention to it? Of course. Should we make it our life goal to have a great self-esteem? No, I don't think so. Mm-hmm. All right, let me take one more break. Dr. Andy Scudinga is my guest. If you have a question for the psychologist, doctor, guest of mine, please uh, send a text, 877-933-2484. Be right back. I thought, why would I want to race through this beautiful music? It's gorgeous. It is. And fun. Yeah. And Andy's with us, right, Andy? 
So it's win-win. I'm here. Yep. It's win-win. My, Dr. Andy Scudigan. My Scudiga. button is on the whole time, I think. Oh, cool. All right. Uh, another another comment. Uh, what I know is that as a population becomes more dense, people become into the us for and no more. I get pushed aside in most churches and without people even getting to know me. What is us for no more? Well, I think that's... Uh, Rebecca, because I, I had to ask her, and she said, what? I've heard it before. I, I think it, it is that sort of exclusionary mentality that says, I'm good with, with me and my tribe, yeah. and so they're not oh, really outward-focused no or inviting as much as they are gotcha. kind of looking inside in their own group. And I've, I've heard that just in terms of general friendship. People move into Minnesota, and they realize that people in Minnesota have the same friends they've had since first grade. And, and they're not yeah. taking applications. And, and there's no more applications available for new friendships. <laughs> you know, and, and as much as you'd like to make a new friend, sometimes you're having a hard enough time getting together with the friends you already have. I, um, so my family and I moved here in 2017. And I have heard that sentiment from many, many other people who live here, who have moved here like us. They're, they're not Minnesotans. And nothing against native Minnesotans. I don't think all people are like that. I mean, we have some neighbors in our community who are just wonderfully welcoming people. Um, but we're probably not in their close friend group. We're, you know, we're more neighbors, right? But I have heard that. I have heard that before. And I think if we as Christians are doing that, then we're, we're, doing, we're doing it wrong. That's not we're – if we're supposed to love our neighbors, then we have to bring our – our circles a little bit wider. Now we are only capable of having so many deep and intimate relationships with friends. All, all science points to that. We, we have a limited amount of deep relationship that we can have with people, but we have a huge capacity for, you know, good acquaintances or friends who we don't do stuff with every weekend or all the time, but we are definitely capable of, having a large, large number of people that we know pretty well that we can converse with or hang out with or do things with without it being awkward, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. And it, it bothers me when people kind of circle the wagons around their friend group and say, this is it, this is who we have, and we don't need anybody else. <laughs> yeah. That, that, yeah. That's just, I don't, think that's, I don't think that's Christian living. And some of you listeners are probably like, what? What what are you talking about? Well, I we can I disagree with you then because I don't think that's a good way to do it. We have always had multiple different types of friends. That's just who we are as people, my wife and I. But I would encourage all people to do that. They don't have to be your best friends. They don't have to be the people you want to go on a cruise with, um, or go you know on go camping with or whatever. Mm -hmm. But have some different kinds of friends that do different kinds of things. That's, that's a really healthy and, and good thing for, for a lot of us to do. Yeah. Another listener said, I've moved here from Maryland and have found that to be the case. Very hard to be included. Yeah, it, it is. We, you know, we've been very fortunate. We had a couple of different communities that we were connected to, one through my wife's school and from some old church acquaintances. You know, my parents used to live here in the Twin Cities, and so we we had connections through them. Um, so we we had a little bit of a built-in advantage. But if you don't know anybody coming to any city, that's always challenging. And if you don't have the benefit of a church to go to, just think about how hard it would be to make friends. Mm -hmm. Where do you go? You go to the the gym. You can't go anywhere right now. 
uh, you know, without a mask and precautions. But, you know, pre-COVID, where, where would you go? The bar? Um, the dog park? I mean, it's, it's hard yeah. to do that. Yeah, yeah. So let's say uh, maybe a person has a, 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 has a little bit of social anxiety. Mm-hmm. Easy, fair enough, right? Sure. Yeah. So how can a Christian overcome some of that social anxiety? You know, it's it's interesting. I've been reading a few things about anxiety Andy? lately. Yes. You should start by saying that's a really good question. Oh, I'm sorry. That's all right. I'm sorry. Hey, that was a that was a really, really good question. Hey, thanks. All right, go ahead now with your you're, answer. You're welcome. So <laughs> so if you've got if you've got social anxiety, they're the best thing, the the quickest, most nutshell version that I can give you is recognize it, embrace it. And then take some very small steps to begin developing relationships with people. Start with one person and try to get to know them. And if they invite you to something else, then try to go. And when you go, realize the fact that you're, you're anxious about it and just realize it. And, and in a sense, this sounds very direct and almost crass, but deal with it. And Use techniques like breathing techniques, you know, self-relaxation techniques mm-hmm. before you walk in the door. Take some deep breaths or do it in your car so you don't want to be standing on the front step, you know, with, you know, your eyes closed and deep breathing. You do that in the car or on the walk over or the ride over if you're taking an Uber or a taxi or something like that. And you start to calm yourself down and realize, okay, I am nervous about this, but that's all right. Here's the thing about anxiety. In most cases, anxiety is a normal response to something new or novel or something that we're not experienced with. And when we're meeting new people, even the most powerful extrovert still gets a little bit anxious about meeting new people. That's perfectly fine. When it becomes debilitating, then then that's a problem. You probably need to see a professional. But if you have mild social anxiety, it's it's hitting it, taking it head on. And maybe you Maybe you pray a lot before you go. Just ask God, can you please quell my nervousness so that I can feel a little more comfortable meeting people? Mm-hmm. And that that's a good place to start. Mm-hmm. Andy would practice. A, yeah, Andy, would a person with social anxiety would they usually be profiled as a perfectionist? I don't think so. Okay. No, because you can have totally sloppy people who are completely disorganized still be very nervous about social anxiety or being not nervous about social anxiety, having social anxiety, being nervous about being around other people. Yeah. I I think it's now here's the thing, Bill, most people who have a more inhibited personality, they are more prone to social anxiety and anxiety disorders. I mean, that's a, that's a well understood fact that inhibited children or children who didn't have parents help them deal with their anxieties well when they were kids are much more prone to these types of anxieties when they are older people. So sometimes we get the idea that perfectionists are more anxious, um, but that's not always the case. And I, I don't think those are necessarily always hand in hand type mm-hmm. of relationships. Sometimes perfectionists though are always, they're just always a little bit afraid of embarrassing themselves. Sure. Um, and, you know, I guess we all have to just remind each other no one's perfect except Jesus. That's exactly right. 
you know, I don't, I don't recommend people who are really socially anxious to go out and try karaoke with a bunch of strangers <laughs> to get over their anxiety. Yeah. You know, unless I can say BG is really good, then maybe. Yeah. Right. That there's different treatments for that sorts of mm. thing, you know, but the, the best one is when you slowly increase your um, exposure, it's called exposure therapy, right? You slowly increase your exposure to things that make you anxious. And then you combat the feelings of anxiety with breathing techniques or relaxation techniques or like a mantra you say in your mind, Jesus loves me, it's going to be okay. Mm-hmm. Jesus loves me, it's going to be okay. And when you, you say that to calm yourself down before walking into a small gathering of people that you're really nervous about, those things do help. Yeah. And then when you're done, you process it with somebody you trust or a therapist or your friend or your parents, your spouse, and you talk about how it went. Those can be really helpful things to do. And trying to live up to some societal standards isn't what makes you that person who is acceptable. You're acceptable because you're a child of God, and that's why you matter. Amen. Andy, it's been a lot of fun. Thanks for... uh, It's always a lot of fun. It is a lot of fun, and I'm looking forward to getting you back in the studio because that's when it's way more fun for me. Yeah, I agree. I am in my basement right now sounds like it so i like your studio it's my basement's nice i'm sure it is your studio is way cooler because it has a microphone have a good night and greet your family for me i will thanks for having me yep dr andy scudding has been my guest professor of psychology at north central university in minneapolis that wraps up our show for the day thank you for listening thank you for supporting faith radio it means all the world to us i hope you have a good night i'll see you tomorrow god bless Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at MyFaithRadio.com.